We begin a new series tonight, or today, about some Christmas carols. Our first carol that we're going to look at today is the song, O Holy Night, which was written back in the mid-1800s, the 1840s. There was a parish, a parish priest of a small French town who they wanted to have a celebration uh, to commemorate, uh, a Christmas celebration to commemorate the renovation of their organ. Uh, they were into organs too, just like we are. They wanted to celebrate this renovation. And so he asked a man by the name of uh, Placide Capot in the town to write a poem uh, for this celebration. Now the, the, the interesting thing about this request is that Capot was not a religious individual of any nature. In fact, he was uh, quite the opposite. He not only, in that day, even if you weren't religious, oftentimes you still attended church because it was part of the social norm in which to do this, but he wasn't even active or attending church in any way. But he agreed to write this poem. He was the best poet in town, and so he agreed to write this poem, and he wrote a poem entitled Cantique de Noel. Now, when he wrote the poem, he, he recognized quickly that this was a poem that was in need of music to become a song. And so he reached out to a friend of his to commission him to put music to this poem that he just had written. And he reached out to Adolphe Charles Adams to write the music for the poem. Now Adams also was an interesting choice because Adams also was not a believer. He was a Jew. He didn't celebrate Christmas. He didn't believe in Jesus. And yet he agreed to put music to this poem that his friend had written. And thus the song, O Holy Night, Cantique de Noel was born. Three weeks after the writing of this song, it debuted at midnight mass on Christmas Eve, and the song quickly became a huge hit in France, playing in many churches around France, until it was discovered that Capot was not a part of the church and was a member, not only was he not a part of the church, but he was a member of the socialist movement. And they also discovered that Adams was not a believer in Christ, but he was a Jew. At that point, the Catholic Church in France banned the singing of Cantique de Noel. They said this song cannot be sung. It was written by someone that is not of our faith, not of our ilk, not of our background, not of our belief. Therefore, it is not worthy to be sung in our church. A little scary type of thought there. But they banned it from their church and they put it aside. But despite the church's best efforts to bury this song and to make sure that it was not sung anywhere in France, the people kept singing it outside of the church, and it kept touching hearts. A decade later, a man by the name of John Sullivan Dwight, who is the one who is credited here within our uh, bulletin where we have it written, translated this song into English. This song resonated within his heart because uh, Dwight uh, was an abolitionist. And he resonated with the verse that spoke of God breaking the chains or Jesus breaking the chains of the slave, that the slave is our brother, that, that the oppressed, all oppression shall cease. And so he brought the song to North America, recognizing that in the 1850s, late 1850s, this, this was a song that spoke to what our nation was going through. And it did become a very popular song in the North, especially as it resonated in the hearts of many and continues to do so even to this day. One final interesting thing about this song, O Holy Night, is that on Christmas Eve in 1906, Christmas Eve 1906, there was a Canadian chemist by the name of Reginald Fezenden. 
And Reginald Fessenden that night spoke into a microphone and for the first time in history, a man's voice would broadcast over what became AM radio. And he quoted, his, his broadcast that night was very short. He read through the Christmas story in Luke chapter two. And then at the end of the reading of Luke chapter two, Fessenden picked up his violin and he played O Holy Night. The first song ever played on the radio, live, was O Holy Night on a violin. And it has been touching hearts for generations since. Let us listen now. Thank you, Emily. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for this song you gave to these gentlemen so many years ago. Even as we read the history, it's a reminder of how you value each one of us. You see the worth in each one of us. You can use even those which others may think cannot be used for your honor and glory. We thank you for the way you've used this song through the years to touch hearts, and we pray that as we consider it for a few moments today that it'll touch our hearts, maybe in a new way, maybe refreshing of what we've heard before. In your name we pray, amen. It would not have seemed like a holy night Back in 4 AD, on the night that Jesus was born, Mary, Jesus' mother, and her husband, Joseph, had made the journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. A census had been called, and unlike our modern times in which those census takers come to our door, or they call you on the phone, or they send you an email, you had to go to them. And so a journey 
of many miles ensued for Mary and Joseph and they made their way, probably not in one day, it was probably a multi-day journey. But they made their way to Bethlehem in which they had to register for this census. The story is told in the Bible that when they arrived in Bethlehem, the, the expected place or their expected traditional place of where they were to lodge was full. And so they stayed in what we have translated in many of our Bibles and in the stories in what we have translated as a manger, but, but it was more likely a cave where people and animals lived in pro close proximity to one another. And they resided in this cave. And it was in that cave that Mary went in to labor and Jesus was born. And except for those last three words, probably nothing else in the night up to that point and that journey seemed very holy. And yet, the birth of that child changes the dimensions of the entire story. Christine and I were in, a little over five years ago, we're driving back from Gilroy, California. We had gone to this amusement park called Gilroy Gardens. It's an amusement park for, for little kids. And, and we had gone there because we were celebrating Dayton's fourth birthday. Dayton's birthday, this was in mid-September, and Dayton's birthday wasn't actually until October. But we knew right around the time in which Dayton's birthday was to take place, we also were expecting our third son, our third child, and so we decided, you know what, we'll celebrate the birthday early. And so we went to uh, Gilroy Gardens. That's a place that Dayton liked. And we went with my, my sister and her children. And we went with Christina's parents and my parents. And we enjoyed the day at Gilroy Gardens. And we left in the evening uh, to head back home to Gilroy Gardens. is over closer to the coast. And we left to head back home to uh, the valley, to Visalia, where we were living. And we stopped at Taco Bell and enjoyed our, our, got some Taco Bell, you know, always a good Adventist uh, meal. And uh, we, we got our Taco Bell and we started to make our way over. And if you're familiar with the area, a place called Pacheco Pass. And it's a some little mountain area. And we were driving, we had been driving about 40 miles. And Christina, we were just listening to the music and, and hanging out there. And Christina suddenly, randomly says to me, Chad, there's a maternity ward in Los Banos. And I said, okay. It took a second. I'm sometimes slow on the uptake. It took a second for, for me to, oh, wait. Do we need to go to the maternity ward? She goes, I think so. My, uh, my contractions are about four minutes apart, and they're increasing. And I thought, okay. The second thought I had was, are you sure we can't make it to back to at least Fresno, if not all the way to Visalia. I'll tell you about that in just a moment. She said, no, I think we should really stop. And this was her third child. I figured she knew what she was talking about. And so I should listen to her. And so we found this, this small little hospital. And when I say small little hospital, it's one of the smallest, quietest hospitals I've ever been to. It's just a one-story little thing, only a couple rooms in the maternity ward. It's in this neighborhood. And we found this hospital there in Los Banos. And we pulled in and we began that whole process. But the reason why I had asked Christina, are you sure we can't make it back to Fresno or back to, Vis or back to Visalia or at the very least Fresno is because Los Banos is really kind of a, a nothing of a town. It's a, it's a blip. It's a, it's a little tiny kind of nothing. 
You drive through it and you're, you're in it and you're out of it and that's it. Uh, again, I'll tell you what it is. On the edge of town, there's a Taco Bell and that's why I know that I like that place. I, 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 you guys, you're hearing, I like Taco Bell. Del Taco's better, but Taco Bell will do. And, uh, and so, so that's all I really knew about Los Banos. Now, for those of you that, that, that again, are familiar with this place, Los Banos is, uh, it means the bass, the bass. But some of the signs in the town have the original name of the town. They put the little hyphen, the N-A, over the, over the N, and it's Los Banos, which for some of you, you may know, means the bathroom. And really, Los Banos, Los Banos, is, that's what it is. It's a bathroom break between the valley and the coast. The most famous person to come out of Los Banos is a member of the Manson family. And, uh, uh, and that's what they are known for. They don't have a sign up commemorating it or anything, but that is, but that is true. So this nothing of a place that I really is not very clean, not very nice, the hospital's small, I'm thinking, I don't know that we want to have a kid here, but Christina tells us to stop. And so we get out there, and we've been, gone, we've been all day uh, going at the amusement park, we're all tired, we're all weary, and Christina is tired and weary, and we go to this small little place, and as sometimes happens, Christina lays down, and she gets her epidural, and she lays down, and her contractions slow way down. They tell us, yeah, you would have never made it to Fresno. Good thing you stopped. You would have definitely not made it to Visalia. Good thing you stopped. But once she got her epidural and, and she laid down, her contractions slowed way down. Well, this seemed like a good thing because it's now into the night. We're thinking, okay, she'll be able to rest and relax a little bit. But someone forgot to tell that to our doctor. And we had a doctor who I don't know if he had not seen humanity in a while, but he was a very chatty Kathy. And he at around midnight decides to come into our room and just sit down in a chair and to begin to dialogue with us about life. He starts telling us about his practice and he talks about his family and where he went to school and he's asking us questions and he's just talking to us. And Christina's squeezing my hand and she's looking at me, why is this guy not leaving? I want to rest. I'm not exactly comfortable here. And I'm trying to give short answers, you know, when someone's talking to you. So, da da yes. No. Of course, then he did ask me about the church, and so I couldn't give short answers there. I had to be the witness. But, but we were thinking, man, we were, so we were weary from our day. We were a little nervous about being in this place without our original doctor, and we were weary from this doctor. At one point, Christina said, the baby is coming, and the doctor said, oh, no, you just have to go to the bathroom. I'll get a nurse in a second, and then he just continued on with his story. And Christina said, no, the baby just dropped. And he goes, no, no, you just have to go to the bathroom. Here, I'll help you up. And uh, good thing he checked before because there was little Levi's head. And he goes, oh, there's a baby coming. <laughs> Moral of the story, I think even moms know better than the doctors. And, and so we have this baby in this hospital. The reason why I tell you this story is because Never have I been able to drive through that town again without there being some sort of wonderful feeling as I drive through. This place I never thought of, I never cared about, that only mattered because there was a Taco Bell on the edge of town, now was special. It became special because of the birth 
of our little Levi. A baby can change everything. There was a baby born 2,000 years ago that literally changed everything. The song that, the lyrics to O Holy Night, the first verse says, Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. I want to focus on a couple lines in this first uh, verse for just a few minutes before we sit down. Some of you may be able to resonate with the line, a world in sin and error pining. You may be able to resonate with the feeling of not feeling worthwhile or valuable. You see, when we sin, that's what happens. We, we, we don't see our worth. We don't see our value. A, a cloud, a curtain is put up in some way that, that, that blocks our view of, of how Jesus feels about us. And so we, we see ourselves and we, we, don't, we don't see our worth. We don't see our value. We feel worthless. Some of you might be in this room right now coming to church and you're wondering who you're valuable to. You might wonder what your worth is, what your ultimate value is. There might be something going on in your life and you're just feeling like, I'm, I'm worthless, Laying in sin, we oftentimes, when we are stuck in that sin, we feel worthless. Think of the story in Matthew chapter 26. We're talking about the, end of Je- or the beginning of Jesus' life during the Christmas season, but at the, in Matthew 26, it's talking about the end of Jesus' life, and there's a, a, a famous story there about one of Jesus' best friends by the name of Peter. And the Bible tells us that, that Peter was outside the place where they were having the trial for Jesus. They were, they were trying to decide what they were going to do with Jesus, uh, some of the people were calling for Jesus' death and others were, were trying, to, to, trying to shift a different thing. But Jesus was being beaten, he's being tortured. And, and Peter was hanging by to try to follow the proceedings and what was taking place. And the Bible tells us that, that Peter, someone came up to Peter and asked him if he was associated with Jesus. And Peter says, no, I, I don't know him. And they came up to him and they asked him again and said, are you associated with, with Jesus? And he said, no, I don't know him. And then they asked him a third time. And the Bible tells us that, that Peter wanted to really prove the point in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 74, that, uh, that, Jesus, that Peter wanted to really prove the point that he was not associated with Jesus. And so the Bible tells us he began to curse and say, I do not know him. And then verse 75 tells us that, that at that moment, Peter heard a rooster crow, and, and, and the Bible tells us what we've heard previously, but what, but what Peter remembers in this moment, that Jesus had said to him earlier in that, uh, earlier just a few hours before even, Peter, uh, Jesus had said to Peter, before this day is over, you will deny me three times. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said, no, Lord, it will never happen, it will never happen. And then he hears that rooster crows, crow, and he remembers the words of Jesus. And then the moment that many of us, if not most of us, can relate to, whether it's, it's because of a situation with another human being, a spouse or a child or a friend, or, or for many of us even, a moment with Jesus, something we can relate to, that moment when we suddenly realize that we have completely dropped the ball, where we have failed, where we have, we have come up short, and there's this recognition that that. that that we didn't live up to who we're supposed to be. And, and for many of us, we've had that moment and we 
suddenly feel worthless. And it sometimes can be so overwhelming. And Peter has that moment. And the Bible tells us that Peter went out and he wept bitterly. And we don't think that Peter wept bitterly because he, he knew that Jesus was going to forgive him. We don't think that Peter wept bitterly because we think that, that he understood Jesus' love in that moment. Peter wept bitterly because he was sinning. And in that moment, he thought, I betrayed my friend and he saw no worth or value in himself. He was in his sin and error pining. Some of us have been there and maybe some of us are still there. Maybe there's someone in here that, that, that is struggling with something and they, they think because they're struggling with this thing, they, they are not worthy, they, they, they are not valued, they are not cared for, they cannot see that grace. It's a description of this world, of course, but it might be a description of, of some of us as well. In the second description of the world in this very first verse, it refers to the wor world as a weary world. The song refers to our world as a weary world. There is not probably a better description of this world than that right now. We, we recognize our world is weary. It's weary from an uh, ecological standpoint. The world is literally groaning at us and things are happening on a nature aspect and the world is weary. The world is weary financially. The world is weary. The world is, 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 is weary from, from, from sickness and disease. The world is politically weary at this time. The world is weary. My kid was born in Los Banos, the bathroom. I've heard more than a few when they speak of the world, they speak of this world as going down the what? Toilet. One person back there. Thanks, Debbie. We watch the news, we know this is true. You don't have to watch the news, you can just take our word for it. We are in a weary world, but it's not just a weary world. Maybe, maybe your own world is very weary as well. Maybe there's a weariness within your marriage, maybe there's a weariness within your financial, financial situation, maybe there's a weariness with, with your health, maybe there's something that, that you know about health-wise but no one else knows about it, it's, it's just overwhelming you. Maybe you're weary because of some loss or some, some suffering in someone you, uh, in, in your life with someone you love. There's a weariness in our world, but, but maybe some of you feel awful weary in your own lives right now. The thing that changes everything. That night, Peter, uh, Joseph and Mary are, are, are tired, they're worn out. It's been a stressful time. They're in a place that's unfamiliar. Uh, the whole birth thing is an awkward moment, but the thing that changes everything is Jesus. The reason why we can sing O Holy Night is because that whole story is suddenly sanitized and, and beautified by this reality that Jesus comes on the scene. And I would tell you that even today, that is the thing that is needed. That somewhere in us, we need to understand, we need to recognize that that if we're weary, that if we're feeling worthless, that, that, the, that that which can change all of that is not a thing or an idea, but it is a person, Jesus Christ, stepping into our life. The song says, there's suddenly a thrill of hope. The world rejoices because of Jesus coming on the scene. I'm so amazed at this reality with each one of my boys, and if you're a parent, you understand this. Uh, no matter how much I've, I've messed up and screwed up in my life, and, and no matter 
uh, what had happened before each one of those kids was born. The reality is, is that the moment that each one of my sons was born, some, there was some glimmer of hope as you looked at these children, something that just was different and, and it gave you hope and it gave you joy and it gave you a new sense of peace. Well, there was a baby born over 2,000 years ago and that baby was born to bring a thrill of hope not just to his parents, but to each one of us. The Bible tells us in the book of Luke, and the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for how many people does the Bible say? For all people, for all the people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David the Savior who is Christ the Lord. The good news the angels declared on that night, that holy, holy night, is for all people. A Savior is born not just for a few, not just for the good, not just for the worthy, not just for the unweary, but the Savior was born. It is good news for all people. That joy steps in for all people. And we need that thrill of hope in our world. If you are weary right now, if you don't feel worthy right now, then you need that hope in your world. The song describes it as bringing forth a new and glorious morn. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Lamentations chapter 3. The book of Lamentations chapter 3. And to some of you who know something about Lamentations, or at least a little bit about Lamentations, and you even recognize the word, you're trying th you may be thinking, why does Lamentations fit in a story about hope? Lamentations can be one of those somewhat subduing, depressing books. I wouldn't encourage it if you're having a bad day to go and maybe plow through Lamentations. That might not be the day to study this book. My friend Scott used to love the book of Lamentations. He, and I'd say, why do you love that? He's like, I like being melancholy. It was the weirdest thing in the world. But, but he, would, he would enjoy this book. But the book of Lamentations is full of basically what it says, laments. And in Lamentations chapter three, uh, the, the prophet is just... Uh, is, is lamenting about what is going on in their world. Jerusalem at the time had fell, and the people were as distraught as you could, as, as you could uh, imagine. Their nation was weary, and the prophet was weary, and he was lamenting. In chapter three, he's pouring out his heart about, about just the struggles that he's having, a world that is not going down the toilet, but a world that, in his mind, has already been flushed. But verse 20 of chapter 3 says this, my soul continually remembers it. My soul continually remembers it. What does he remember? He remembers the wormwood and he remembers the gall from verse 19 and all of the other things. And he says, and, 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 I'm, and, it, and I'm bowed down within me and I'm, I'm overwhelmed. He's saying I'm weary. The pressures, the, the, the stress upon me is overwhelming. But verse 20, and this is beautiful, verse 20 says this, but this I call to mind. This, or verse 22, I should say, but this I call, or verse 21, but this I call to mind. Somewhere in the midst of all this drudgery, somewhere in the midst of this sin and error pining, in the midst of this weary world, in the midst of this toilet bowl existence, there is something else that comes to his mind. There's some glimmer of light that comes in. He says, this I call to mind. I love that line because it gives me hope that even in the midst of the most, uh, the, the, the darkest scene of life, that God will still send a, a, a ray of hope, a ray of light. He will still come in to try to penetrate your mind. John chapter one, Denise read that today earlier in John chapter one. The Bible says that when Jesus came into the world, the world was darkness. It was darkness. 
Even as we look at historically, there had not been any prophecy. There had been a, a time of no, no scripture being written for, for this huge amount of time, the longest time period in, in history up to that point. And, and it's just darkness. And the Bible says that in the darkness, the, uh, the world did not know Jesus, and yet he was still the light of the world. He still stepped in, and there was still this, this glimmer of light. And in this moment, the, the prophet is lamenting and he's agonizing over what's going on in his world. And he says, but this comes to mind. And he says, and what, what, what the thing that comes to mind, the Bible tells us, it brings him hope. But this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Well, what is it that he calls to mind? Verse 22 of chapter three. He says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases his mercies never come to an end. You know, sometimes I don't like the word never. You know, I'm never gonna be able to dunk a basketball. I don't like that, that word in that case. I'm never gonna run a sub three hour marathon. I'm not Rich Reinhardt. I'm kind of, you know, I don't like the never there. I, I'm never gonna win the lottery unless one of you finds a ticket on the ground and gives it to me that's a winner. I'll take it then, but, but I'm never gonna win the lottery. You know, there's nevers that we don't like. My kids say, can we do this? And I say, no. They say, when can we do it? I say, we're never doing it. They don't like the word in that moment. Never can be an unpopular word, but I love the word never within this context because it says, love never ceases. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His, ver his mercies never come to an end. And then why is that? Why does his love never cease? And why do his mercies never come to an end? Well, he finishes it off because this. He says, because his what? Because they are new what? Every morning. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Your love and your mercy, God, are new every morning. Today may be a wearisome day for you. Today you may not feel worthy, but I want you to know that God's love and his mercy is here today and it'll be there tomorrow and it'll be there the next day and it will never end. And it's new every morning. I love the way one preacher put it. He said, what this means is that God is always in tomorrow before you even get there. God is always in tomorrow before you get there. If your marriage, if your marriage is struggling, what I hope you'll understand is the Lord is in tomorrow waiting for you and he is what your marriage needs. If you are weak in your sin and you are feeling worthless, God is already in tomorrow and he is what you need. His strength is made perfect in weakness, the Bible tells us. If you are down and depressed today, he is already in tomorrow and he is desiring for, for you to realize that he is your joy. He is the lifter of your head, as the Bible says. If you are lonely today and, and wondering if you're of any value to anybody he is already in tomorrow and he wants you to know that he is your friend Jesus said I don't call you a slave I don't call you a stranger I call you friend Jesus said why because in tomorrow with Jesus and Jesus alone there is always a new and glorious morn only with Jesus only with Jesus 
The thing I'm afraid of is that far too many people, including too many of us that that know the name of Jesus and speak the name of Jesus, too many of us are trying to survive this world with no expectation of a new and glorious morn. We're moving from one weary day to another weary day, from one worthless day to another worthless day. We're trying to survive without a thrill of hope. And some of us have seen what can happen in our own lives and what can happen in the lives of others when there is no hope. When there is no hope. It never gets better. That sin and error pining, they just keep keeping on without Jesus. The weary world just stays a weary world without Jesus. The, 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 the bathroom of our existence just keeps staying a bathroom, a nothing blip on the map without Jesus. But the scriptures tell us, even in the midst of all that, the lamenting, the struggling, God says, I send a glimmer of light into your life and that light is Jesus. And I want you to know that no matter how you feel, Pastor Andreas said it in the baptismal tank, she told the girls, I want you guys to think that, that no matter how you feel or what you feel, that Jesus still loves you. No matter what you're experiencing, Jesus' love is, is never ceasing. No matter what you're experiencing, Jesus' mercy is still there. No matter what you've done, I know this is hard for some of us to accept, his mercy is big enough to give you a new day. With, us, with Jesus... A sinner finds their worth, and there is a thrill of hope. With Jesus, there are new mercies every single morning. Christmas is a fascinating season for me. We understand that Christmas time was not the season in which Jesus was actually born. And we understand that that, that there's some roots to Christmas that, that bother some people. I got a letter this week, a four-page letter, about how we shouldn't have anything to do with Christmas as Christians. But here's something I know about Christmas. For some reason, it is the single longest section of the year in which people are more open to Jesus than any other time. There's, there's It's almost... As if this, this, this time period, God's allowed it to be such that, that this is that glimmer of hope that they call to their mind. And a thrill of hope comes. Why is this? It's because in this world in which we live, it is very weary. There's a bundle... The majority of people probably don't see how valuable they are. They don't, they don't realize. I mean, we can have people around us tell, you, tell us that we're valuable and loved, but ultimately, we don't know our true worth unless we understand it in the context of our creator, Jesus Christ. And so, and so people, are, people are weary and they're, they feel worthless and they feel struggling and they come to Christmas and something in them says, well, maybe there is some hope. Maybe there is some hope. Maybe that's you today. Maybe at Christmas time, you actually have a little bit of joy. You have a little bit of hope. What I want to tell you and what I would like us to tell the world is that hope is not reserved at Christmas time. It is new every morning in Christ Jesus. There can be a thrill of hope every day. 
for the one who says, you know what, I'm not perfect, but I will surrender at the feet of Jesus. There can be, the burdens can be lifted every day for the one who's struggling with sickness, for the one struggling financially, for the one struggling in their marriage, not because all the problems go away, but because they say, I know I have someone who says, take my burden, because it's easy and light. I want the world to know and I want you to know if you're struggling with this in your life, that that this is not just a, a passing season. God's love never ceases. His mercies never ceases. There is always a glorious morn with Jesus Christ. If you're something in you today needed to hear that, I want you to hear that. Ron's gonna come up and he's gonna lead us in the singing of Oh Holy Night again. It's on page six in your bulletin. And we're gonna sing it together. It's not a congregational song, but I thank Mark for amusing me and allowing us to sing it, or inviting us to sing it congregationally. But as we sing this song and as we think about this song, maybe we'll think about it in a little different light. We'll, 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 We'll hear it and we'll know that it's not just for this season. The thrill of hope is tomorrow and the next day and the next day. The thrill of hope is in February and the thrill of hope is in May and the thrill of hope is in August and the thrill of hope is in October. It's new every morning in Christ Jesus. Let us sing.